0: ONCE AGAIN, GOOD MORNING. PLEASE TURN WITH ME IN YOUR BIBLES TO THE BOOK OF PSALMS, CHAPTER 16. PSALMS 16. WE ARE DOING A SERMON SERIES IN THE BOOK OF PSALMS, AND we are IN CHAPTER 16 WE'VE entitled OUR SERMON SERIES, TOTAL COMMITMENT TO GOD. It was the great divines as they tabled down the worst semester confessions who said these words that the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. That speaks to our destination. This speaks to where we are headed to. Whilst we are here on earth, we may not see the reality of that. since genesis chapter 3 we see the sin has affected man and it has affected us immensely now as you look at psalm chapter 16 and before we read in verse number 11 the psalmist marvels at this particular truth he says to god you teach me or you lead me in the path That is right. In your presence, there is a fullness of joy. At your right hand, are pleasures forevermore. But let me tell you this Genesis chapter 3 tells us that that presence, our forefathers, were banished from that presence. And their banishment brought about fear, insecurity, sin, and all the things that we would consider negative as we see them today, including sorrow. And the psalmist expresses his delight in God and he expresses his devotion to God. He expresses his commitment to God. And this psalm, we see there is a settled calm. There is an inward joy. And there is a joyous confidence that the psalmist have on God and on God alone. And I don't know where you are and what you are going through today. And I don't know maybe what you might be facing and maybe what you are facing. But let us once again like the psalmist would say fix our gaze and put the lord before us even this morning shall we stand on our feet as we read psalm chapter 16 from this one a meek of david's preserve me o god FOR IN YOU I TAKE REFUGE. I SAY TO THE LORD, YOU ARE MY LORD, I HAVE NO GOOD APART FROM YOU. AS FOR THE SAINTS IN THE LAND, THEY ARE THE EXCELLENT ONES IN WHOM IS ALL MY DELIGHT. THE sorrows OF THOSE WHO RUN AFTER ANOTHER GOD SHALL MULTIPLY their drink offerings of blood i will not pour out or take their names on my lips the lord is my chosen portion and my cup you hold my lot the lines are fallen for me in pleasant places indeed i have a beautiful inheritance i bless the lord who gives me counsel IN THE NIGHT ALSO MY HEART INSTRUCTS ME. I HAVE SET THE LORD ALWAYS BEFORE ME, BECAUSE HE IS AT MY RIGHT HAND. I SHALL NOT BE SHAKEN. THEREFORE MY HEART IS GLAD, AND MY WHOLE BEING REJOICES. MY FLESH ALSO DWELLS SECURE. Or you will not abandon my soul to sure. Or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life in your presence. There is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. May God bless the reading and the preaching of his word, you may take your seats. Let's bow our heads and ask the Lord to be with us even as we are about to hear the exposition of his word. A glorious God and King, we come before you. In these few moments, we desire that you will give us counsel. In these few moments, we desire that we will find you as our portion, that we may set you always before us, even as we walk out of this place, because you are at our right hand. May we find here this morning the fullness of joy. That as we hear your word and we hear as to who you are, may our hearts go out gladdened. May our whole being rejoice in you. May we find satisfaction in you and in you alone. That even in the face of danger, we may say with David, My flesh also dwells secure. So we ask, lead and guide us into all truth. Pray that you grant me clarity, simplicity, even as we communicate the truths of your word. Help us, therefore, not just to be mere hearers of your word. Help me, too, not just to be a mere preacher of the word. All of us, we desire to be doers of it. So may you lead us by your spirit, we ask. In Christ's name, we do pray. May God's people say amen. total commitment to God. We always are willing to commit to that which, in sense, is secure. We are men and women who, at this point in time, standing this side of the Garden of Eden, we may not even speak of a level of security that is sure. Apart from God Himself. Now, when it comes to commitments, and in in terms of what we do have in the day and age we're living in, we do make commitments most of the times not because we are feeling a sense of security, we make commitments because we feel insecure. That's why you sign a contract at your workplace because you don't know that maybe your boss may change tomorrow, don't you? There's a level of insecurity. That's why then you, you would sign a contract as you're going into a business partnership, for example. You are not sure as to what your business partner may do or may not be able to do. So you are not sure. So let's put things in black and white so that there is a level of Security. Even though you are knowing and you are very much sure that we are living in a time and days when things are not secure. In case of people, people do change. Things do change. But on a relational level, commitment assures you that at least there is a level of assurance in case things go wrong. I am sure that things would in some way, level, shape or form be secure. But the reality of this life we're living in, beloved, if we may point out the three sources of insecurity, and as David is pointing them out here, the pressures of our peers, the uncertainty of the future and the inescapable reality of death. There is no insurance company. There is no human being who can assure you that they are not going to change. Now, it is in that context that David realizes of the dynamic nature of life, david understands as to the ramifications of genesis chapter 3 the consequences of sin that has ravaged his life his community his society and himself he knows for sure that there is and there is nothing in this life and i want you to see that there is no one in this life that David can and would commit himself to, but in God only. Such that the names that David uses in this particular passage, as small as this chapter is, these 11 verses, I want you to see, he uses three names of God. The first one, L, find in verse number one, God, where he says Preserve me, O oh God. That name, God, that David uses is the name El, which denotes him, this God, as the supreme deity of all the other gods in the lands. This one is the supreme one. He is the one who has the strength and the power that no one can rival him. He is unequaled. The second name that David employs in this particular psalm, Lord. Capital L-O-R-D. Look at it in verse number 2. He says there, I say to the Lord. The name Lord, Yahweh. Or it is commonly used as Jehovah. This name points to the covenant relationship which God has. This is the name by which God is known by He is covenant people. He is a God who is supreme above all other gods, which we are going to come to this particular morning. I want you to see that. In comparison to other gods of other nations, this God is supremely glorious and powerful. And the other term and description of God that David uses in this one, not only is Yahweh, the relation, relational name or the covenant name of God, but the name Lord. El, small, R D, which denotes Adonai in Hebrew. One who is sovereign and one who has authority over all things. Now stick with me as you see the usage as david uses it then and he comes and he declares of this god who is supremely glorious above all other gods this god who has this covenant personal intimate relationship with his people a god who has first and foremost committed himself to his people Regardless of their shortfalls and of their sin, a God who loves them in spite of them. It is this God then, we've looked at this the past two weeks, that David then finds his courage and delight in. Verse number one and verse number two, if you are writing, David denotes God as the God who preserves. So he delights in God's refuge. He delights, and we saw this the past weeks, he delights in God's, in the Lord's Lordship. In other words, he delights in this God who is reigning as king. He delights in this God who is his refuge. But also, last week we saw this, that David delights in God's people. so he commits himself to this god and he says in the midst of all these dynamics as there is a lot of danger as i am insecure yet he declares in verse one i take refuge in you I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. I delight in your people. I will not declare of the sinful people on my lips, he says. I have a beautiful inheritance in you. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. And I have set the Lord always before me. And it is because of this David says, I shall not be shaken. That, beloved, denotes commitment from David's side. And we've looked at all these four character traits that den- denotes that David actually is a man who is delighting in God. And last week we finished by looking at what is it that David then detests. Verse number four, he comes to then to us. he detests those who pursue other gods let's then expound that verse together this morning he says in verse number four he says the sorrows of those who run after another god shall multiply look at that verse david speaks to the present state of those who are idol worshippers, or let's call them those who are the rebels of the holy and the almighty god In verse number 3, we just finished, you saw this last week, that David is pointing out to the truth, to the fact, that there are those who are God's people. In God's people, David found delight. He would not be anywhere else, and he would desire to be with nobody else but with the people of the Lord. But in the following verse as we see it in verse number four what do we see we are seeing here that there are those who serve other gods it speaks to their present state their present state beloved unlike david look at the last the last final verses starting from verse number nine look those verses my heart is glad My whole being rejoices. My flesh dwells secure. Do you see that? He says in verse number 11, you have made known to me the path of life. In your presence, in the presence of this almighty, all-surpassing God, David says in that presence, what does David find? He says there is the fullness of joy. In essence, what David is saying, he has found his way into the presence of the Lord. But there's another company of men, not those men who are the people of the Lord depicted in verse number three, but men who are actually running away from the presence of the Lord. Their sorrows, Ubima replied. Now, as I've alluded to in my introduction, that as you see this particular verse, verse number 4, this verse must remind us of Genesis chapter number 3, verse number 16. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, when our forefathers, Adam and Eve, before they were banished, away from the presence of God because of sin. Remember what God would say to Eve. Verse 16, Now read. To the woman God said, I will do what? Surely multiply your pen. It's God who is declaring this. In Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve have sinned. Adam and Eve has fallen short of the glory of God. Adam and Eve has rebelled adam and eve because of their sin as the consequence for the sin which adam and eve committed in particular to the woman but this goes to all the sons and the daughters of adam god is declaring i will multiply your pain in childbearing speaking to the woman And at this point in time, as David is penning this, Israel, the society, was almost divided between two groups of people. There were those who were seeking after God. There were those who were seeking after other idols. They did forget the Lord who brought them out of the land of Egypt. They preferred to worship the pagan gods of the other nations around them. and as we continue with the biblical narrative even in the life of david himself in each generation before david in each generation after david studying with saul himself and david himself even including solomon the wisest man who lived on the face of the earth you would think they knew it better they should do better they should worship the one true god that was not the case We find the reality that they were actually resisting the worship of the true God, and they were actually flirting with other gods. King Saul was consorting with the witches, isn't he? King Saul rebelled against the word of God. Even in the time of the judges, you remember, there is this downward spiral, even in the times of judges, that the people seem to be doing what they saw fit in their own eyes. Everyone was a king in his own right. Nobody wanted to submit themselves to the lordship of God. Nobody wanted to submit to the goodness of God. And the gods of the ancient world were the gods of sex. Fertility and the gods of war and power. And the way it worked, it was very simple. Because these were the things that men and women were chasing after. If you wanted a good harvest for crops, then you are just expected to give the fertility gods the appropriate and the required sacrifice then they are going to give you what you need bar was the idol the prosperity god let's call him you you name it and you claim it we still have him today don't we if you want a success in battle you must appease the war gods or if you wanted money or power or health You turn to the relevant gods you you performed the appropriate sacrificial rites so that then you buy their favor and they will go with you as you are going to war they are going to go presumably that's what the people believed that they will fight on your behalf so they'll make a sacrifice in attempt to manipulate the gods of money the gods of sex the gods of power into giving them money sex and power so you find here a generation of men who are actually not so much in the courts of god in contrast to what you see in verse number three these are not the saints. in verse number you see in verse number three they are the saints in the land they are the righteous ones in the land But there is also another group in the land, the rebels of God, the rebellious ones, those who are running after. So the present state in which you find them, they are sorrowful. Their pursuits is that they are pursuing other gods. That word you find in that verse, they are running after, that word can be rendered they have purchased another. Or if you may use the same language of actually commitment, because you remember that I was using that symbol of marriage. As you, you you can look at it in the element or with the covenant language, what the psalmist is saying, when you look at this word in original Hebrew, it, it may be rendered as those who have engaged themselves To another God or these are men who are running after in haste they make haste after this they are quick and they are prompt in essence what what this means is it means this it means that these men and women they 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 hesitate and they delay when it is proposed to them to serve the true God But rather, they readily embrace the opposite course of following the world, sin, and Satan. The idea of the person referred to here, brothers, shows a man or a woman who shows a readiness or willingness to forsake the Lord their God, to render service promptly, spontaneously, And they will do it sacrificially without even regard as whether God is pleased or not. They don't care. Their conduct show that they do not hesitate to do this when it is proposed to them. They embrace their first opportunity to do it. They can make the excuse. Unlike David was saying, I find pleasure in God's people. They will make excuse. If it means that they are not in the courts of the Lord, to them it's okay. They don't find pleasure and delight in the presence of the Lord. They find pleasure and delight in the courts of wickedness. Who are these men? Isaiah chapter number 1. From verse number two, let's read. Listen to what God says to His people Israel. You would think that they should not better, and you are there this morning, and you wonder as to how does this relate to us. I'll come to that, and listen to this call. God makes this call, and He says in verse number two of the Book of Isaiah, laying this case. He say here, Oh heavens! He's summoning the heavens. He's summoning the earth. And he says, give ear, O earth. What is it, Lord? For the Lord has spoken. Who is this Lord? The covenant name. Do you see the name? L-O-R-D. It's the covenant name. Yahweh, Jehovah. This is the covenant keeping God speaking here. Who is he speaking about? He says, Children. Have I reared and are brought up? But they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its honor, the donkey knows its master's crib, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who do corruptly. What have they done? They have forsaken the Lord. They have divorced me. That's what God is saying there. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. They have gone ahead, they have taken a certificate of divorce, and they have said on my face, to my face, and they say, they don't want me. And believer, I would like to remind you, that state of pursuit, that kind of ambition, that kind of lifestyle, leads only to sorrow. There is a way that seems right in the eyes of man, but its end is destruction, says the psalmist. Paul reminds us of this same truth in the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verses number 12. He tells us to remember. He says, remember that you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. You are strangers to the covenant promise. having no hope without God in the world. Such that, and beloved, all sons and daughters of Adam, presently, it may seem to be happy and clappy, but the real state of their soul, and if you're here and you don't know this Jesus, the real state of your soul is that you are sorrowful. Even the pleasures that we chase after. Even the things that the world tries to bring to us. In essence, sin at core. The sorrow here speaks not only to the present state that these people are. But look at what the Bible says. This sorrow shall be multiplied. There's a future sense there. There is a punishment that awaits those who are running after other gods. So we are looking here at the present state. The present state is that they are sorrowful. Yes, their pursuit is that they are running after other gods. But the punishment awaiting such men and women is that they will face this God the psalmist is finding comfort in. Because every time a man sins... He aims a blow at the crown of God. Every sin actually defies a holy God. Every sin, what every sin does, every sin aims to call God a fool. Because every sinner says in his heart that the the law of the Lord is not best thing for me. Actually, men think that God has made a mistake. He has set a standard that actually none of us is able to attend. Man would rather be king of his own heart than allow God to be God on his throne. And that's what sin does. In such a state, you do not expect to receive or to have a sense of joy there. You need to expect sorrow. So then... Maybe we may think we are more sophisticated. Maybe we may think that we are not the ones who are carving images and we are worshiping to them. But listen to what one man has said. And that man is by the name of Tim Keller. He says these words. Do you know that when you sin, you call God a fool? You say that his law is not the best thing for you. Do you know that when you sin, you call God a liar? He tells you that sin is bitter and evil thing. But you say, no, it's sweet. It is pleasant. At any rate, I will test it. You give a lie to the eternal God. So whenever you sin, you call God a Tyrant. You do in fact avow that he has given laws that are hard to, 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 to maintain. You, you say to him that he is actually weak and not powerful. You say that you are wise and he's a fool. You say that you are the one who is the king and he's not. And every time a man sins... He aims a blow at the crown of God. He refuses to let God be the king, but puts his hand, he, the wicked hand, he lays it upon the diadem of the deity, and he dusts the crown of God down to the ground, and he crushes it. And such is a fool's thought, that he thinks that he would dethrone God, and yet remain happy. He will enjoy the, moment, the momentary gratifications and he will think that he is wise in his own understanding. Negating the all-wise God, he puts himself on the throne and thinks that money, sex, and power, they are that which gives him significance and satisfaction. He delights in that which God disdains. It is to such that the Bible would warn us that it is the wages of sin. That is death so the psalmist then brings to us and shows us there is no security in the false gods but as he's changing that and as he's disdaining those who are rebels of God then the psalmist shows us his delight in God as the only portion look at verse number five he says the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup you hold up you hold my lord verse number 6 the psalmist say the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places so let's observe this and i want you to see this in verse number 1 and verse number 2 the psalmist delights in god's preserving presence as god is regarded to the psalmist as the one who is his refuge and his ruler In verse number three, the psalmist delights in God's people that these righteous ones are the ones who are dwelling here on earth and they are his delight. In verse number three, he disdains those who are running after other idols and he actually dreads the punishment that awaits them. But in this particular verse, the psalmist delights in God his portion. After stating that there was nothing found in pagan gods, after stating that there is sorrow in worshiping other idols, the psalmist then pauses and he declares, David explained the good he received from Yahweh. He says, you are the portion of my inheritance. Being the youngest in the family, you remember this? David would have even, there's a possibility that he was not expecting any inheritance from his father. His father had many boys in his household. As he looked at the wicked in the land, as they prospered in their ways, David could stand and could say, of all the things that the people are running after, I have God as my inheritance. And the language that David is using there, he uses this language as though he is regarded himself as one of the priests. In the book of Numbers, chapter 18, verse number 20, God had said to the priests in the time of Moses, the Levites, God had told them, remember this, he said to the Levites, I am your portion and your inheritance. And David understood that this was a promise given to only the priests. But as he stands and he meditates and he looks at God's goodness upon his life and he sees the futile nature of life and as he sees the dynamic nature of life, the only place where David finds to be satisfied Content and the only one whom David is explaining to be his very possession. It's not in God's possessions themselves. I want you to see that. Unlike the men in verse number three who are finding meaning, who are finding essence in life, in things, or let's call them in God's possessions. David regard God to be his possession. He's a man who is possessed by God, and he is not trying to find a pleasure in the blessings of God. He is finding pleasure and delight in God himself. And he's confident that God is going to maintain this lot which he has given him. He's confident that that which God has given him, that which God has awarded to him will be kept secure. So look with me verse number 6. He says the line, the lines, they have fallen in pleasant places. Now it is in this now, that David then changes the tone of the song. He has described as to where he finds this joy, where he finds this delight. He has described for us as to who this God is to him. But then he goes to the next section that he now shows us, beloved, that it is in this God that he will find complete and absolute Delight in. Is this you? Are you disdaining the things which are in enmity to God? Or as we look at the psalm, you would observe this that there is in every shape and in every way a depiction here. That will show us that in and of ourselves, we are not able to be this man. We, unlike this man spoken of in this psalm, who finds delight in the presence of the Lord. We, unlike this man, who will say, who has this God, verse number 8. Look, I have set the Lord always before me. We, unlike this man, we set our eyes on things of this world. We, unlike this man who says, you are the God, in you my heart is glad, in you my whole being rejoices, in you my flesh dwells secure. Unlike this man, we find pleasure in anything else other than in God. But may I remind you, Christian, Jesus Christ calls us to commitment because himself committed himself to us. Amen. Because if we look in ourselves here, we are the ones spoken of in verse number 3. We deserve the sorrows which God is able to pour out on the enemies of his kingdom. We have committed what Arsis proud would call cosmic treason. We want to dethrone God. We want to be kings of our own lives. Yet God, in his mercy, in his grace, sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to become the one who will walk perfectly before God. It was him who would say these words. You are my chosen portion and my cup. The lines are fallen for me it is christ only who could say these words it's only jesus christ who would set the lord god almighty always before him it's only christ who would say these words even as he faces the cross i shall not be shaken And as though he walked on this land, on this earth, with sinners such as you and I, as he lived here on earth, Christ would say, boldly to say, I will dwell secure. And it is that Christ then who calls you and I to come to him. And our commitment to him must supersede our commitment to even anything of this age, including our families luke chapter 15 verse 26 to 27 jesus says these words if anyone comes to me and he does not hate his own father his own mother his wife his children his brothers and his sisters yes even his own life he cannot be my disciples whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple So then it entails that such commitment means our family relationships, yes, may be severed. It means that our commitment to Christ demands, if given an either-or situation, we turn away from the family commitments and we continue to be with Christ. Because some of these idols that are spoken of in verse number five. Let's be honest. Most of these idols are worshipped in the family setting. Idols of ancestral worship. Idols of prestige. Idols of power and prosperity. And it is from this that Christ actually calls us Such that even in the New Testament context, when we speak of disdaining these idols in this life and finding our all in Christ, it actually entails that we are required to be loyal to the Lord. Even in the face of trials, beloved, we may have to endure trials We don't have to be men and women who are cowardice, but rather we ought to be diligent, courageous, trusting in the power, the sufficient grace offered to us by God. Why? Because the psalmist says here, it is in him, in him, he is my chosen portion. And even as we come together to the table this morning, it is with this realization that the one who shows and demonstrates total commitment to God, such a man and woman delights in God's refuge. Such a man and woman delights in God's lordship. Such a man and woman delights in God's good. Such a man and woman delights in God's people. He detests the people those who pursue other gods but even as we see it this morning such a man and woman who is totally committed to the lord as david depicts here such a one finds that god is or her all in all god is their portion He is that wonderful treasure that they cannot trade it with anyone else. Unlike those who are running after gods, unlike those who are running after other idols, this man is saying within his heart, I have set the Lord always before me. Therefore, I'm not moved. In this life, but also in death. Death. Why? Because this God, verse number 10, he will not abandon my soul to Sheol. Your manners, your power, your prestige, and anything that the world around us may try to sell us has no ability to preserve our souls. In this life, but also in the life to come. So may I invite you this morning to find your satisfaction, to find all your longings fulfilled in this one, whom the psalmist finds his delight. I know it's tough, but God is stronger than our tough situations. I know maybe maybe battling with sin, but I want to assure you that this God is committed and has committed himself so much so that his one and only son, Jesus Christ, died on the cross for you. This is the blueprint we have in this psalmist, that he delights in this God. Faced with the uncertainty of the future, do you know what the psalmist delights in? Verse number 7. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. It's him who instructs the psalmist and gives him the wisdom he needs, directs his path, and the psalmist is assured to say that this God is always with me. Let's bow our heads and we pray together. Our glorious and eternal God we do bow before you we bow before your throne of grace and acknowledging of you all sufficient all sovereign power and authority we do ask this morning that father you would turn our hearts you would turn our eyes unto you Jesus we resound with the words of a hymn writer that prone to wonder lord we feel it prone to leave the god we love here's our heart take it seal it for those courts above that our minds will be set on things above our eyes will be fixed on christ that you direct our paths And our ways into the paths of righteousness. That we may understand your ways through your spirit. So lead and guide us into the paths of righteousness. For your name's sake. In Jesus' name we ask. And may God's people say amen.